Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We are here today with John Israel. I am super excited about uh, my guest today. John started as a Cutco sales rep back in 2002 while he was a college student at Gonzaga University, and he became a Hall of Fame Cutco sales rep, one of the top sales reps of all time. He also was a district manager for a while with the company, leading and building a team in Southern California. John is now uh, ventured off to become a motivational speaker, and he is the author of a couple books, Skating Through College, and also most recently and most prominently, The Mr. Thank You Project. And John will talk a lot about that during this call today. Thank you very much, John, for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. So I'd like to hear a little bit about your background, John, and see if people can learn a little bit about where you came from and you know, leading up to how you got started with Cutco way back in 2002. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the precursor to really what helped, what had me start selling Cutco in 2002 was what happened two years prior to that. When I was in high school, I was a junior and I remember the day because I came home and I saw both of my parents sitting on the couch which they don't normally do, sitting there silently waiting for their son to walk in the door. And I knew they had some news to, to share with me. And that was the moment that my parents told me that my, they had found out my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Mm. And uh, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if he was you know, going to go quickly or if this is a long thing, but I, just, I was really shocked by that. And I remember it really had me challenge myself with my future, which is like, well, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, my, my dad's sick. I was going to go off to college in a year. And there was like this kind of like tug of war of like, what do I do now? I wound up getting into Gonzaga University, got a great scholarship there. And also my parents were kind of funding a good portion of that as fortunately they had some money saved. And here's where the breakdown occurred was they had thought they had enough money saved. And then as people realize, when you make commitments like that, you soon realize how expensive college can be. After my freshman year, I remember coming home and my mom said, you know, John, I'm really sorry to break it to you, but we just, we can't do it anymore. We, we can't afford the bill. You know, we thought we had enough money saved up. Your, uh, your dad had to retire early from his job. He was a systems technician for a technology company. And in that process, they were just, they were out of money. And mm. that was the first time. So prior to that, Dan, my first job ever and really only job was I worked at a movie theater for one month. <laughs> and <laughs> so I didn't have exactly great resume experience and, and nor did I really have the, an understanding of what it truly means to earn an income and to really be self-sufficient. It was really the first time I was 
like really on my own because it was actually a lot worse for my parents than I realized because I came home and they're like, yeah, by the way, you also have to start paying rent. Like coming home to this room I've lived in my whole life and suddenly there's a bill attached to it, which was wow. challenging. And it wasn't because my parents were trying to be mean. There was just the truth of the reality of our situation. Yeah. So I got a letter in the mail from Vector and I came in for an interview. The office was fortunately only about seven minutes from my house and I drove down the hill. This is in San Diego. This is in San Diego, California. So that's where I'm originally from. Came in for my interview. Uh, I had no desire to be a salesperson at all. My degree is kinesiology. I was going to be a physical therapist or a chiropractor. And I didn't really see sales as something I wanted to do. But what was really helpful to me in that first summer was I had a friend from high school, Joe Theobald, Joseph Theobald, you might have might know Joe, he was just really doing well. And I trusted him and saw how well he was doing. And he mentored me, field trained me for a bit. And that summer really changed my life. I understood and was able to navigate the sales capacity as someone who didn't want to be a quote unquote salesperson, but really found the smoothness of being myself in the process. And so that was really a transformative year for me that kind of continued on summer after summer. I kept coming home from school and, and selling every summer. That's great. Now, now, what were some of the early challenges that you experienced uh, in selling Cutco that you overcame and, and some lessons that came out of them? The big thing that was a challenge for me was the whole concept of working on and working off of referrals. It's not unique to sales. Every business, one of the biggest challenges they have is, well, where do we get new customers? And so that was just, you know, when I was in San Diego, it's where I'm from. I've got a bunch of family. So I had a pretty big list to work off of. But when I went off to college, it wasn't my first year, but my second year off to college where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to sell while I'm at school. I'm going to make some money while I'm you know, going to classes and work on the weekends. And But the challenge I had was I, just had, I had no leads. I had really no contacts. And I had a couple of teachers that would let me start with them, but I was fortunate to get a couple of service call leads. There's this really unique experience I think everybody has when you're forced with no other options. And what was there was for me to figure out how to generate a business and generate customers and new customers specifically in a new territory that I don't know, that I've never lived in, that I don't have a a big database. And so what I just learned, and this is one of the great things that everybody has the, the ability to access, and it doesn't matter how much money you have to spend on it because it doesn't cost any money, which is being a good person. Hmm. meeting a customer and having them finish a one hour meeting. And at the end of it, spend hundreds, if not a thousand dollars or more with you, and then give you the names of people that they care about and trust is a really unique feat to accomplish. And what I learned is what mattered to them was just seeing that they were connecting with a real human being who had goals, who had a vision to pay for school. And I was just authentically just trying to do my best. And I think they really connected with that. Hmm. And then I just made it a point to always ask for referrals and always ask for more and, and get specific on what areas I wanted to work. And, and sure enough, I was able to really build a lead base there. And that lesson of being able to create something from nothing, not because again, with true business, right? People spend just a bunch of money on marketing, but what's more powerful than any dollars you can spend on marketing is just being a good person or having a vision with a company that people just connect with and they want to talk about. Like They want others to buy from this company or this person. And that was a lesson that I think really translated so many areas of my life that allowed me to be successful inside of Cutco, especially moving. Like I moved several times while selling Cutco and that experience of struggling 
learning how to get referrals and figuring it out, what was great is that it's, it's just a principle and a principle, is something that you can do one time and do it again and you get a similar result. And so that's what I was able to find when I moved to Santa Barbara, California, after graduating, uh, when I moved to Dallas, Texas, when we lived out there and I was selling Cutco and it worked every time. So that ability was just really powerful that came from a struggle very early on in my career. Yeah. That's such a great insight. The idea that, you know, there's so many ways that we work on getting referrals and building a business. And there's lots of things that we can teach people about how to be better at that. Mm-hmm. But the, the core principle is that people look at, you know, who you are as an individual, their perception of who you are. And you were conveying that through your persona, through your, you know, the hard work that you were showing to people and uh, the way you interacted with them. And, you know, people liked you enough that they wanted to be able to recommend you. So you're, you were really building that relationship in a way that was strong. And then and I don't know that everybody does that, you know, in the sales process that they really focus on that idea of, you know, how are you conveying who you are as a person? So that's a great insight, John. What do you feel is your career highlight in the Cutco business? It's kind of a back-to-back experience that I would even say partially ended. The middle of it wasn't a very positive experience, but it really did turn into positive experience a year later. So it was actually when I had moved to Santa Barbara, California. Sorry, I was two years out of college. It's funny. I remember going to a Jeffrey Gittimer seminar. And you get the listeners know Jeffrey Gittimer is wonderful sales author, written The Little Red Book of Selling, The Little Teal Book of Trust. I mean, he's got a lot of great sales books and love his philosophy. So I went to go see him live in Southern California with a good friend of mine. And I remember him saying something that really stuck with me, which was, you know, a lot of you guys are here in different industries. You're in tech sales, you're in car sales, you're in any industry was there. And he said, some of you are there and you're at a brand new company because you got recruited over, or some of you are considering leaving your current company because you feel there's a better opportunity somewhere else. And he said, well, here's what you're going to find. Wherever you go, you will create the exact same experience of what you have right now. Hmm. So if you leave your company, leave having accomplished everything possible, because when you go to the next opportunity, you will create that. Now, at that time in my career, my best year was $100,000, which was a good year. And this is back in 2006 or seven, 2006. And so in 2007, you know, at that time, the, the coveted Rolex was at, at 200,000 in annual sales. And this was a... Uh, um, still early on in a lot of the programs, the fairs and shows, the realtor rep program and, and some of that stuff. And so it was really still just the hustle and grind, doing the appointments, making the phone calls. And I remember I hired, I think you've had him on your podcast, John Berghoff. <laughs> Indeed. I, I hired John as my sales coach for the year and I paid him more money than I was comfortable as a 24-year-old to coach me to have a 200K year. Because at that time, Less than 10 people had ever done that in Cutco history, but John was the first and he was the only one who was really in a space to be a coach, to be of service to people who wanted to do that. And so I, I hired him and he worked with me and, and that's, that was definitely a, a starting point of like really catapulting my, myself from a, a person who sells 100000 a year to that year I did eclipse 200000 in sales. But here's what happened. So at the end of the year, I was working my tail off and I, I had actually broken the all-time December company record, uh, which was about 37000 in sales at that time. But I was still short of my goal. I was $3,000 away from hitting the Rolex. And it was like Christmas weekend and just not the ideal time to find people to sit down with you to, to show them Cutco. And Dan, I, I felt I had did everything I could and I was at the end of my rope. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to buy it. 
I'm going to buy it. I'm going to spend $3,000 in Cutco. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> check this out here. Th- this was the really interesting thing. So I, I spent the $3,000. I, I bought a bunch of Cutco. I would give away the next year and I justified it. And I said all these things like, oh, well, it makes sense. I'll have to use this anyways. And I'm buying it. And so it was, it was all like totally legit company regulations, everything. But here was the thing. When I went to the Cutco conference that year and I, at the year end banquet, and they gave me my Rolex and I put it on. Typically, the purpose of a gift like that is that it is a symbol that reminds you of something that you have accomplished. Mm. And what was there for me, and Jim Rohn has this great quote that I know you know it, which is success is not about what you accomplish, but it's about who you become in the process. And at that moment, I realized I didn't like who I had become, which was I was willing to compromise my integrity to achieve a goal. Because I did not sell 200000 and win a Rolex. I bought a Rolex for $3,000. You could say I got it at a discount. Mm-hmm. So to me, every time I wore that Rolex, when I looked at it, instead of this feeling of accomplishment and pride, there was this level of guilt and this level of like, I don't know if I really deserve this. Hmm. And I, 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 wor- I lived with that for about a year. And, and so where I see one of, one of my company highlights was, Two years later, which is basically a year went by and I kind of had an average year. And then I said, okay, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to do 200K again, totally legit, totally straight. But the difference is because I was preparing myself to move on from Cutco and move on from the sales field. I was going to become a district manager. And so I said, but I'm not going to leave and have there be a gap in the business. I want to create something such that when I leave, it's not a whole, like people say, oh, well, John left. Now there's 200,000 less in sales we have, but I wanted to do it in a multiplying effect that we would actually sell more Cutco with me gone. And I really cared about my customers and I had just a real deep wish that they would have the same quality of experience as having worked with me for years. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is before there was a company mentoring program. And I basically recruited an army of, of about six sales reps in different territories that I had sold throughout my career. I picked two people in San Diego, TC Smith, Eric Gilman. Um, I picked two people in Los Angeles, uh, Laura Posey, Chris Lee. And I think there's one other person. And then also Adam Sobieski was in there as part of the group. And what I did was every single week in my quest to, to redeem myself and sell 200 100,000 again, every week I mentored these people and taught them everything I knew about how to sell Cutco, how to do an excellent service call, how to provide a level 10 service for a customer so that they want to keep doing business with you and send you lots of referrals. And I taught them everything I did. I field trained them. And the, the intention was that when I left, when I would move on to my district manager role, I would hand them my customer base and I would say, here you go. Take care of them. I trust you. Wow. And so I, I went through that year and it was a very powerful year because as you know, when you teach, you become, have a develop a better understanding of what you may or may not know. Oh, yeah. But as a teacher and you see it implemented and you build conviction, it was so empowering as a sales year. And I totally beat 200,000, not a lot. It was, I think literally 200,900, but it was a hundred percent legit. I didn't buy anything and it was, but it was just a very empowering year. And I really felt beyond that a real level of confidence and trust in myself. And that for me was a really powerful and pivotal moment to to know that I could trust myself and that I could become the person I really want to be. So that was a really pivotal year that I think set course for a lot of uh, the future of what I did inside and outside of the business. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And that list of names that you rattled off, TC Smith, Eric Gilman, Adam Sobieski, Laura Posey are all current members of the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame. So you influenced them at early days in their careers in a way that I'm sure was transformational for them. 
tell us about some other transformational moments in, in your life. Transformational moments. Well, as far as this might be a great, a great segue into the really the Mr. Thank You project, which was to date. I mean, outside of being born and, and seeing my children being born and getting married, one of the most significant prolific things as a contribution that I've done in my life. And the, uh, how that started, it actually started from a Cutco experience. I don't know if you know this story, Dan, but it was back in my first summer selling Cutco. And what happened was it was, uh, it was about my second month in the job. And I went out to go see a customer. Uh, her name was Cynthia. And Cynthia was a uh, single mom she was a nurse. She had two boys that were just graduating college. They were moving out of the house on their own. And Cynthia was a referral from someone I knew in high school. And so I went out to her house and she lived in Escondido, California. We had a really, uh, just a really good connection. And some of you guys who are in sales or have, have had that experience where you meet someone you just instantly connect with, you have that rapport. There's very open, very trusting, they're very transparent. And we just had a really great experience. Mm-hmm. And then 24, so she bought a modest order of Cutco. And then 24 hours later, I get a phone call and it's from Cynthia. And she says, uh, John, I hate to do this, but I need you to cancel my order. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really taken aback because at that time in my career, no one had ever canceled anything on me. So it was this really like charging, like there's a lot of emotional charge there for me. Cause I was like worried. I'm like, you know, what did I do? What did I say? What happened? Like, why is this happening right now? And I, and she's like, you know what? I can't tell you why, but I, I just need to know that you can cancel my order. And I was like, sure, I'm fine. You know, and I figured it out how to call the company and cancel the order before it was processed. And, but it really bothered me. And I kept thinking about it for days later. And I came home and I, and I was talking to my mom about it. And, and I was like, man, I'm so upset. Like this customer canceled an order. And my mom was in direct sales for many years. And, and so she understood the concept of people buy and some people don't. And she, she, I remember her telling me and asking, she said, well, um, have you ever had somebody who'd never bought from you before? And I was like, yeah, of course I've had, I've had some no sales in my career. She's like, well, why don't you just consider it like it was a no sale? And I was thinking about, it, I was like, why can't I think of it like that? Why can't I think of it that way? What I came back with was, I don't even care that she canceled the order. The fact that I lost the business, I, I care that I lost the relationship. Like I care that that connection just doesn't get to exist anymore. And then my mom is this, she's an artist by trade. And so she has a really unique mind and how she thinks of things. And so she said, well, maybe you should just send her a thank you card. It's like, why would I send this woman who canceled an order? What do I have to thank her for? She's like, well, think about it. What, what can you be grateful for? And so I thought about it and, and I grabbed some stationery and I wrote a really simple letter that said, you know, Cynthia, I just wanted to say thank you for your time. I really appreciated the hour we spent together learning about your family, your life, your job, what you care about. I appreciate you taking the time to let me practice my presentation on you. And while I know right now is not the time for you to be buying Cutco, I just wanted to let you know that I just enjoyed getting to meet you as a person. And if anything else changes in the future, feel free to let me know. You know, God bless, take care, Cutco John. That's why I signed everything. Hmm. And two things happened, Dan, that were really, really unique. One was instantly, emotionally, I felt better. It was like this experience of this, this anger that I was holding and this like frustration and this pain that's really lifted up in that moment. Just being grateful when I didn't want to be was really transformative. Hmm. The second thing that occurred was actually two years later when I was in college, I was in my, uh, my apartment at the time and I get this phone call out of nowhere from San Diego and I pick it up and a woman on the other line says, Hey, is this Cutco John? I said, yeah, this is Cutco John. Who's this? She says, well, my name is Cynthia. I don't know if you remember me, but I tried to buy some knives from you several years ago. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, of course I remember you, Cynthia. Like, how can I help you? What's going on? She says, well, things are a lot better now. And I, I was wondering if I can still place my order of Cutco with you. I was like, of, of course, let's do it. And I, I pull out an order form and, and she had a catalog uh, that she had gotten in the mail. And she's like, well, let me tell you what I want. And Dan, she was listing so much Cutco. I had to get a second order form to keep filling out. We call it a two-pager, right? In the Cutco world, a two-page right. order, order is a good order. And she was buying practically the whole catalog. And this was about to be one of my biggest orders of my career. Wow. Sitting there in my desk at my apartment in college, and I'm just thinking, why is this happening? Like, where is this coming from? <laughs> and Cynthia says, John, do you know why I'm calling you right now? I said, I have no idea. She says, well, what I couldn't tell you all those years ago when I had to cancel my order is that I had just found out that I was extremely sick. And I was actually so sick that I had to leave my job. Wow. Uh, I was so sick that my kids who had moved out of the house had to move back in to take care of me while I went through treatment. And while the last thing I wanted to do was to cancel my order, I had to. But when I got your letter in the mail, what it showed me was you valued me as a human being more than just a customer. Hmm. And I told myself, when I get healthy one day, I'm going to call this kid and I'm going to buy every damn knife he's selling. <laughs> and that's what happened. Wow. That's you know, awesome. And Dan, that changed my life. I mean, what a lesson for a 21-year-old to learn, to learn how to value people over profit. And that lesson stuck with me. And it was this experience of learning how to value people as people. And I think that's what, what a lot of companies and businesses miss out on is they, they, they get really focused on metrics and, and scale and all these things. And, and it's really, well, what are you trying to scale? Are you trying to scale numbers? And so there's this concept that I've coined that really, I think, connects with that, which is what businesses really should be focusing on is creating love at scale, creating connections at scale, experiences with customers that they so value the business because the business values them. And they realize that it's people who are pulling out their credit cards and buying something that's not just credit cards being processed. And that was a really transformational experience that for me really changed the trajectory of how I treated people and also how I viewed this concept of bringing gratitude to pain and really the healing power that it can have in someone's life. And so that kind of kicked off this idea. And that, that, that was like a seed that was planted in my brain that didn't really materialize for about seven or eight years later when the Mr. Thank You Project came about in 2016 is really where that came about. Yeah, that's a great Great story, John. Uh, I think so many people can really resonate with that story and, and, and just think about how they're treating the people around them and how they're appreciating the people around them. And that there's always some hidden element to people's stories that we don't know. So there's so much good in that. So, so tell us about the, the Mr. Thank You Project, the year of the thank you and how that evolved. Yeah. And so, so I continued on with Cutco for many years after that. So it was in 2016, I was no longer a district manager. I had moved back into sales and, and I was a, what's called a Cutco closing gift consultant. And so I specifically sold Cutco to real estate agents, business owners, mortgage people, and they would buy Cutco at scale. They would buy like, instead of buying, you know, five spatula spreaders for their family for Christmas gifts, they would buy 50 for the, all the people they're going to sell homes for throughout the year. And so it was a really good, really good marketing strategy for Cutco to develop that, you know, shout out to Tony Carlston for inventing that program. And it was interesting, Dan, because essentially I had become a gratitude salesman. I helped people say thank you for a living. So it's kind of a unique life. And it was actually a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And in 2016, though, it was a really uniquely challenging year of my life where 
we had our first child. He was about one years old. My wife had decided to leave her job to become a stay-at-home mom. And then simultaneously, we also found out we were expecting our second child. And then I decided to fix everything by moving the family to Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Adding a move into that dynamic of of a life was really just really challenging. And so I was, I was just, my bandwidth was to the end. And like many salespeople, I value motivation. And I went to YouTube and I looked up motivational videos and cause I was trying to find something to keep me going at this time. Cause it was really, really, I was struggling. And I found this great talk, which I'm sure you've seen. And a lot of people who are listening probably have, but it's called start with why by Simon, Simon, Simon Sinek. If you haven't heard it or listened to the, the audio or the, um, the TED Talk, it's really simple what the messaging is, and I'll, I'll summarize it in two sentences. Simon essentially said, people don't care what you do. They care why you do it. And specifically in business, people don't care what you sell. They care why you're selling it. So start with why. And I really struggled with that because if I was being honest at that time, Dan, my why was survival. It was getting by. It was making ends meet. It was paying the bills. Mm -hmm. And I am sure that that translated to my customers because if they don't buy what I'm selling, they buy why I'm selling it. They could feel that, that incongruency of like just trying to make money, trying to make a sale, which any salesperson in your career has probably felt that same emotion. And so I said, okay, well, if this guy's right and where people don't buy what you sell, they buy why you're selling it. And clearly I don't like my why. Well, the good thing is I get to decide what my why is. So if that's the case, what will I choose to be driven by? What will I allow myself to be motivated to focus on every single day? And I just thought about this concept of gratitude. You know, that's what I did as a business. I had a value of it. We had, and I had this powerful experience of gratitude with Cynthia all those years ago. So I thought, well, what if I do something around gratitude? And I've been really big on habits. And and, uh, there's a wonderful book called The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. And he has a great concept in there called a keystone habit. And a keystone habit is a habit that you have that when you implement it, it has a positive trickle-down effect because it creates other good habits because of that one habit. Like the example he uses is working out. So when you work out, one of the benefits is you're getting healthier. Well, because you're working out, you also drink more water because your body needs it, which drinking more water is good for you. And also because you're working out, you're more tired, your muscles are fatigued, you need to sleep more. So you sleep more, which is better for you. So this one habit called working out has this trickle down positive impact in your life. So I thought, how might that apply with gratitude? What Mm -hmm. is a way that I could implement gratitude as a habit in my life and align it with a big purpose and a big why? And so what I had come to on my big why was, and what our business was about, was about elevating gratitude on the planet. And I remember coming up with that statement and I was like, so proud of it. I was like, yeah. But the problem is that if you would go ask a hundred people who know John Israel, what do you know about him? They might say some nice things like driven or successful, but I don't think they would use the word grateful or appreciative to describe me. Hmm. So I thought that was a real problem. How can I be this guy who says he's all about gratitude, but I don't embody it every day? So this whole concept of having a habit, a powerful keystone habit that would help me experience gratitude at a high level just kind of became this just little thing, like that seed that was planted all those years ago just started to blossom as like, like, well, what could I do with that? So I thought about writing thank you cards because that clearly had a very positive impact on me and it had a very positive impact on Cynthia all those years ago. 
So I thought, well, what if that's what I do? So I, I had a coach I work with at the time and we had this conversation about, well, how do we make this like a, a game? How can we have you like find some, something like this that you can commit to for an entire year, like a project? To summarize what happened, we came up with these rules that where I was committed to handwrite five thank you cards every day for 365 consecutive days. Wow. And the five number came about because writing one card a day just didn't really inspire me. Writing 10 cards seemed like too much. I don't think they'd be very good. Five was kind of like that Goldilocks moment. Like it just felt right. Like it felt like a good amount to go after. (laughs) As far as the project, there were rules that had to go in place because I wanted to... Part of the thing with doing a having a big commitment or a big project is to consider it like a game and to have rules of the game of how do you win and how do you lose. So these were the rules. There was only four of them. One was five cards had to be handwritten every day. So that means they had to be handwritten, couldn't be a text, couldn't be an email, had to be handwritten. Second is I could write a max of three cards per person. Okay. So that would mean that I couldn't write 75 thank you cards to my wife because that would get really annoying. Right. And, <laughs> and the other one, what the number three was every day reset at zero. So meaning I had to write five every day. It couldn't be something that I would stack up on Sunday and do 35 on Sunday. Cause the whole concept of a habit is you want to be able to do it every day. That's right. where that repetition has that positive impact. So I wanted to write them every day. And the final rule, well, what I originally came up with was for any day that I miss, I'll donate $100 to charity. And when I told my coach that, he was like, wow, that's pretty good. But I think you should add a zero. (laughs) And I was like, you want me to donate $1,000 to charity for not writing five thank you cards in a day? And he's (laughs) he's like, I don't want you to have to do anything. But he's like, let me ask you this. How likely is it that you're going to donate $100 or several hundred dollars to charities throughout the year? I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of part of our tithing process. So he says, okay, well then if a thousand dollars is at stake every day, how many days are you going to miss? Zero. I mean, there's no way I'm going to miss a day. He's like, all right, what do you think you should do? So the final rule, the rule number four was for any and every day that I miss, I would donate a thousand dollars to charity. Wow. And that started on October 10th of 2016. And that ran for 365 consecutive days. And it was a very, very profound year that changed my life and really really made a positive ripple that I, I didn't quite expect, but it's kind of what I'm getting to live into now in my life. So it's, it's, yeah. it's a pretty, pretty prolific year. Amazing. And I know some really incredible stories came out of the experience of writing and presenting these cards. And one of them, in fact, happened right out of the gate. You know, can you tell us a story? It's funny because it, it somewhat involves you, whether you know you were aware of it or not. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure no one was aware of it at that time. It was day three, and I was boarding a plane from Los Angeles to Philadelphia for something called the Front Row Dads Retreat. And that's a group that I'm a part of, and Dan, I know you're a part of, of entrepreneurial fathers. And we get together twice a year for to learn how to become better husbands to our wives and fathers to our children while we run our businesses. So this was the first event, and this was in October of 2016. Yep. So I flew out to Philadelphia. We had this really great experience. And there's kind of two parts of the story. And I think both of them are relevant because they kind of lead into each other. So I'll try and condense these. But in boarding the plane, one of the interesting things people ask often is they say, well, who did you write all these cards to? I mean, if you didn't do the math, five thank you cards times 365 days is 1,825 letters of appreciation, right? So how do you do that? How do you find all those people to thank? And I started by making a list of 300 people that I knew I wanted to appreciate. So family, friends, coaches, mentors, customers, just people that I really valued and cared about. 
And I got that list about 300, 350. And so that was my start. But that's still a big gap between 1,800 and 25. So what I tried to do is every day allow space to be open for inspiration of finding somebody doing something good that I could acknowledge and appreciate. Mm. So in boarding this plane, I, I realized I thought about the pilots. And I thought, man, I fly all the time. And I have never once thanked the pilots. As we're taken off, I pray for safe travel. And to date, they've 100% delivered, right? So that's something to be grateful for. But I just really <laughs> thought of like, I've never properly thanked them. So I thought, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to appreciate today. And there were four pilots consecutively because there were two legs on my trip, two pilots each flight. You can do the math. And I remember boarding the plane and I asked the flight attendant, hey, do you mind if I get the names of the pilots? Which I very quickly learned is a strange question. <laughs> she clearly never been asked that question. And so my, uh, so I, I had to reassure her and say, Oh, I'm just going to write them a thank you card, which is funny by the way, cause she totally lightened up and was like, Oh, that's great. Yeah. Here's their names. And it's funny just by saying that, how differently people react to you just by beca- being an appreciative person. So she gave me their names and I sit down and, and a, a really challenging question came up, which is how do you thank somebody that you don't even know? how do you appreciate somebody you've never actually met? Mm-hmm. I'm big on words as Dan. I know you, you care about words and where they come from. And the word appreciate comes from the Latin word appretiare, which appretiare literally translates to the words to appraise or to set the value of a thing. Well, now how do you apply that to a human being? And what I learned, Dan, is that you just become curious. Like, what is this person's life like? What do they really care about? What are some of their biggest goals and dreams? What are their biggest problems and what keeps them up at night? And you don't really need to know every detail about a person's life to ask those questions and to gain some insight. And so this is essentially the card that came out. And I said, dear pilot, I know it might seem strange to receive a thank you card from a passenger, but as I boarded this plane, I realized how much I miss my family. And then I realized this is what you do every day for your job. Hmm. Not only that, you've probably been wanting to become a pilot since you were a little kid because nobody becomes a pilot by accident. And I can't imagine how many hundreds, if not thousands of hours you spent practicing training and preparation for this job. All of that to have some turbulence, a slightly bumpy landing, and then have people complain about it. So whether you hear it enough or not, I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of myself and everybody on this plane. Nice. That was the letter. And I wrote four of those. So I wrote and there were variations. I, I tried not to have them be exactly the same every time, but I, I wrote that to the two pilots on this flight. And then on the ones after that. And what I would do is as I was getting off the plane, they're typically still in the cockpit. So I just handed them the card and then I walked on. Well, what was different about this experience, Dan, the normal is that uh, I happened to write this on my business stationery, which uh, has my name, my cell phone number, and my email. So the crazy thing was within 24 hours of landing in Philadelphia, I received personal communication from three out of the four pilots personally personally thanking me for the card that they received. And one went on to say, you know what, John, in my 12 years of flying, I have never received a thank you card from a passenger. Hmm. And that blew my mind because I'm like, how is that possible? How is it possible that these people with such significant, big, important jobs are not being appreciated? And I thought, well, if it's that case for them with their big jobs, what about everybody else? in their life, in their careers, in their marriages, in their families. Yeah. There's a real need here. 
And the, the second part of the story, and I'll, I'll give this one a little bit shorter, which is we land in Philadelphia and, you know, obviously you and I connected were at the front row dad's retreat. And after the first day, we all decide we're going to go to a bar slash restaurant to fellowship and get to know each other better. Cause a lot of us, we'd never met. There's about 30 or 40 of us there that first time. So we're in Philadelphia, we're walking around, we find this hole in the wall bar and we go in there and I remember very vividly because it was a very quiet bar and there was just like a handful of people sitting at the bar just kind of getting served and they all stopped and simultaneously looked in our direction like we were a spectacle because we were, we had no reservation. We were just walking around trying to find somewhere. Party of 30. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and I remember the one waitress who was serving that night and she was just sitting, she was just kind of standing in the corner and she just made eye contact with us. And I, she didn't have to say anything, but you can just tell with her body language, what she really was feeling was like, Oh, y'all just ruined my night. Right. You could tell she was just probably about to end the night early, go home, see her kids or whatever. But no, we were going to keep her there all night. And, and that's what we did. And her name was Shantae. So Shantae found a, we, uh, we told her, you know, kind of what we were looking for. She got us a private room in the back, served all of us. And again, one waitress serving 30, just kind of rowdy entrepreneurial guys just hanging out in fellowship. And, and it was just, she just did an immaculate job. She took care of all of our orders correctly. She got all of our drinks correctly. She recruited the cook staff in the back to bring the food out. And I just remember thinking like, man, out of like one to 10, she was like an 11 on, on performance. And she was also friendly and fun. And she really warmed up to us after she got to know our group. So I was like, okay, she's my number five. She's my fifth card for the day. So I, I grabbed some stationery, which I keep with me at all times at that point. And I write a simple note and, and I, I say, Dear Shante, I just wanted to say thank you for the amazing night you helped us experience. What you don't know is we're a group of entrepreneurial fathers here for an event to learn how to become better husbands to our wives and fathers to our children while we run our businesses. And tonight was really important because it was all about fellowship and just getting time together. And we know we showed up with no reservation. You could have turned us away and we would have totally understood, but you didn't. You are gracious, you are fun, and you made tonight amazing. So I just wanted to say thank you on behalf of myself and everybody in our group. And I put it in the envelope and walk over to Shantae. She's sitting in the corner kind of cashing at her tips for the night. And I, I walk over and I hand her her thank you card. And she accepts it awkwardly as most strangers do when I hand them a thank you card. And I start leaving and then I realize I have to go to the bathroom. So I kind of veer back in and I go to the, the restroom. And then as I come out, Shantae is standing there just waiting for me. <laughs> and she's got this big grin on her face. And she's just like, she just runs at me and gives me the biggest bear hug of my life and says, that is the best tip that I've ever been given. Wow. And uh, we just pause for a moment and we just look at each other for, it might've been two seconds, but it was in those two seconds that we really saw each other. And it wasn't customer server. It, it was human being and human being. And that's where I got one of the biggest, most profound lessons out of that whole year which was one of the greatest needs people have that they will often never tell you, but everybody has innately inside of them is the desire to be seen and to be seen for our greatness rather than our weakness. Because as human beings, we're prone to noticing what's wrong. It's actually a psychological term called the negative bias. We notice what's wrong before we would notice what's right. And mm -hmm. it served us evolutionarily to make sure if we you know, heard a strange noise in the bushes that we wouldn't go look at it, we would run away and that would save us, right? And so there's this level of looking for what's wrong. And so as a parent, right, Dan, you're a parent, you know what it's like. We got little kids, they're running around, they're making all sorts of mistakes. And we constantly find ourselves like correcting problems, correcting problems, noticing what's wrong, fixing what's wrong, because we want to develop good little kids. But what happens is we 
train ourselves to notice what's wrong before we notice what's right. So it's such a powerful experience to say, well, what if that was the opposite? What if our job was every day in our jobs, in our lives to look for what's great inside of people? And what if it was our job to highlight that and reflect that back to individuals? And you know what I learned from Shantae and everybody else throughout the year was that when you treat people that way, they show up differently. They show up better. If it's a staff member, they're going to go to bat for you. They're going to work extra hours without you needing to ask them because they just, they know you care about them. You, your appreciation and love of them might be more than they're getting at home with their spouse. Like that's hard to get. But one of the biggest reasons people get divorced is they just feel like, man, I just don't feel they appreciated what I do here. Mm -hmm. Same thing with people leaving a job. I just don't think they really even see everything that I do. That's why I bring it back to that opening thing that when we appreciate something, we ask the questions, what or someone, what is this person's life like? What do they care about? What are their strongest values? What are their biggest goals? What are their biggest problems? What keeps them up at night? If you can take one person in your life right now and ask those questions, your mind will be opened up to really, truly who they are. And what you'll learn is that the precursor to appreciation is curiosity, but appreciation is also the precursor to empathy. And with empathy, we develop compassion. And when we have compassion, Dan, that's when you can connect with anybody. When you can have compassion with where somebody's at, what their life has been like, what do they care about? What do they deal with? You can literally connect with any person, homeless person on the street, CEO, anybody. And that's where this year was such a profound experience because I wrote letters to everybody, literally baristas at Starbucks. I wrote them to the trash guy who picked up our trash. I sent it to the city. I sent it to people in government. I sent one to Barack Obama. He sent one back to me, by the way. That was pretty cool. Uh, I sent it to people who ran companies that I cared about. I got letters back from Apple and Whole Foods and Home Depot. Whole Foods gave me actually a $15 gift card which I thought was kind of funny because I don't know what you can buy at Whole Foods for $15. But it, <laughs> it, it was this experience of just seeing how much people, they don't get that. And so when they get it, just how they show up to you in your life, it's just a really rich experience. Mm. So, so you can imagine that. So all that was, you know, that happened by day three. Just amazing. Amazing, John. You know, in reading your book, the, the big takeaway I had was the, the concept of how do we treat that for which we are grateful? Right. If you're truly grateful for someone or something in your life, you treat those people differently and you make them feel differently. And that whole concept that you just shared just really resonated for me. Really incredible. So the book is called The Mr. Thank You Project. Is there anything else from the book that you feel like you'd like to share? Anything else from the book? Well, I don't know, Dan, you've read the book. Any, any specific story that jump out at you, you'd like me to, to <laughs> highlight here? Because there's so much. It was just such a fun, rich experience. And what I would also tell people is you don't have to do what I did. Like my intention, by the way, is now we've actually built out a whole like organization for this, right? So like our mission is to now inspire 74 million thank you cards written around the world because I started getting opportunities to speak. Very fortunately, inadvertently, it got picked up on the news and several really positive things happened. And so all these people wanted to start their own thank you projects. And and what I would tell people is, yes, do that, but don't do it like I did. Don't try to copy what I did. Find what works for you. It might be one card a day. It might be just picking 50 people or 20 people or 10 people that you really care about. And just every day, just write one letter and just notice how you feel and just let that be the litmus test for you of what, what you should do. So, but yeah, inside of that, any stories for you that stand out you'd like me to highlight, Dan? Yeah. You know what? Uh, tell us about uh, the Gonzaga basketball team. 
<laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I think you and I will appreciate any sports fans will really appreciate this. Some people might get like, like, okay, I don't see why that's big of a deal, but anyone who's a sports fan, uh, man, this was like one of the most meaningful experiences of the whole year. And, and what happened was, so I'm a graduate of Gonzaga university. And, and for those of you who don't know, we have a prolific basketball team. Uh, it's, uh, John Stockton went there. We've had many NBA players, very small private school in Eastern Washington. And I went there not because of basketball. I just went there because it worked for what I wanted in the school and they gave me great financial aid. But what I found is they had such a culture of just of excellence in basketball and, and such a fun thing to watch. And so when I graduated, I was a raving fan alumni. And so I would always love watching March Madness and we have the big tournament and every year we would do pretty well. And this particular year, we were actually ranked number one in the country. And then we lost our final almost undefeated season. And we lost to Brigham Young at home on senior night. It was a rough, rough time. But nonetheless, I love my team. We were going into the NCAA championship and we make it to the national championship game the finals we're playing unc and carolina yep man and it was an ugly game i mean it was just (laughs) not a good game for a lot of reasons i mean it was like almost record number of fouls and it was like our number one player had his worst game of his career i mean so many things didn't work out and we lost by like i think 13 points and and it was a very like just deflated end of the season and you know dan i know you're a big sports guy and i i don't personally consider myself a sports person but i i'm a raving fan of ncaa basketball and so for me i've heard people talk about their team losing and then just getting really like depressed and angry and upset. Like Dan, I don't know if I've ever been depressed in my life, but if I was, it was that moment. Like that I literally felt sick in my stomach that we lost the championship. And I just remember it was 9 PM at night. I'm at home. Wife's putting the kids to bed. And this is during the Mr. Thank you project. And so I hadn't written any of my cards for the day. And I was just at the lowest of the low. And I sit down at my desk and now okay, now I'm supposed to write thank you cards to people, right? How do you be grateful in this moment after your favorite team just lost the biggest game <laughs> of, of, of poten- you know, potentially the history of the school, right? Yeah. And, and so I was, I was really feeling that. This is a really interesting statement, which was a question that comes up that I learned to ask in these moments during that year, which is any moments of pain or challenge or frustration to instead of combating it and making it wrong and or being overly upset about it is to just listen to what's inside of it and to listen to where the upset is coming from. And then to ask the question, how can I bring gratitude to this experience? What can I appreciate here? And I remember it, it was such like this epiphany that I had this moment, Dan, where I just remember thinking like, oh, wait, wait, wait. we did not lose the NCAA championship. What happened right now is I witnessed the best basketball team in Gonzaga history make it to the national championship. This is arguably the best season we've ever had in our school's history. Like this is such an amazing thing to witness. Every player paid, played better than, than arguably any other year before. So this is like a monumental thing. And then I thought like, wow, I was suddenly grateful for the team of how far they had really gotten the school. And then I thought to myself, well, what if I sent a thank you card to every member of the Gonzaga means basketball team? And I just suddenly that pain frustration just transformed into joy. It was like this, what an honor that would be. (laughs) And I remember going to NCAA.com and I looked up all the players and there's like 17 players in the team and I got everybody's name and do this, Dan, this is how nerded out. I went on it. I went through like every game that all of them played. And I looked at what were their highlight games where they scored the most points or they were written up in the newspaper. And I looked up all these things so that when I would write, 
write them a thank you card and I would say, hey, thank you so much for the great season. I could pull specifically and tell them, here's when you were a highlight. Here's when you were so strong. Here's when you made a difference in helping our team achieve what we did. And I remember finding the, the red shirts and I wrote a thank you card to all the red shirts saying, hey, you know what? Championship teams are not made in championship games. They're made in every practice that led up to it. This team is who they are because of you as a red shirt, practicing them, challenging them, pushing them. And, and I'm just as grateful for you as everybody on this team. So for several days, I wrote all these cards and I sent them out. And I also sent them with a copy of my book, the first book I wrote, which was Skating Through College. And I just wanted to give them, because it's relevant, they're college students and, you know, and I got to include it with the letter. So I sent 17 of these out and I sent one to Mark Few. Mark Few is the head coach of Gonzaga men's basketball. He's been there for over 20 years. He's like a, an icon in the industry or the world of NCAA basketball. And it was just a cool experience. And I remember, and here's, there's a couple parts of this, but one thing, Dan, was, you know, that moment when you tell somebody, like, let's say you meet somebody in, right after, right, right, Golden State, right? Golden State, unfortunately, just lost the NBA championship. And you could, you know, meet people and then you'd be wearing your Golden State hat somewhere after the loss and people be like, oh man, sorry about the loss. And then there's this feeling of like, oh gosh, yeah, damn it. Like, <laughs> thanks for rubbing it in, right? But for me, when I said I went to Gonzaga and people would say, oh man, so sorry you lost. I'd be like, what are you talking about? That was the best season in school history. I'm just grateful we got to where we are. And so it just transformed this experience that anytime I look, and this is, this is a great statement for people to highlight, which is that the best way to change our experience of life is to change the conversations that we have. Because our experience of life is so much related to our relationships that we have. And our relationships are related to the conversations that we have. So if we want to have a different experience of life, we just need to have different conversations. So instead of having conversations about why it sucked that our team lost, I had great conversations of what was so beautiful, wonderful, and amazing about our team that year. And that to me was that you could take that lesson to anything in life and transform a painful experience to a positive one. So that was great. Here is the kicker, right? And it was a couple months later on May 21st, it was my birthday. And I remember we went out to dinner. My wife was with me. We had the kids. My sister was there. And my wife said, oh, by the way, something came for you in the mail. And she hands me an envelope and it was addressed from Gonzaga men's basketball. <laughs> I said, no freaking way. <laughs> and, I, and I open it up and I read this letter from Mark Few, Mark Few, the head coach of Gonzaga men's basketball. And he just goes on to thank me for writing all the letters and sending all the books to the team. And, and, and he just appreciated the alumni and, and the support we give to the school and, and how so much of what they get to do is because of the support of people like us. And he just really acknowledged me for being a super fan. And I mean, it was like, I mean, I cried. I was sitting there at, at dinner just with this letter. And because here's the thing, you can't ask for that. I didn't say, hey, Mark View would love to hear back from you. I was just genuinely appreciating people I cared about. Mm -hmm. And there's this great statement that people, I'm sure everyone's heard, which is what you appreciate appreciates. And what I would add to that is what you appreciate appreciates you back. They show up differently. They love on you at a bigger level. And you know what's so great? In that moment when you need it, they show up. And that was just such a powerful experience for that year. And it was really just like a testament to the whole project of just being not, not trying to get anything, but just trying to be an appreciative person. Wow. Wow. Well, John, this has been a fantastic conversation. So many good nuggets have come out of this. Uh, that last one you shared there, the best way to change our experience of life is to change the conversations that we have. You've shared so much about how to do that, how to change our focus. You're changing so many lives through what you're doing with your work, uh, with your speaking and with sharing and this principle of gratitude and, and all the great things that you're, uh, you're bringing to the world. 
Um, I'm definitely honored to be able to count you uh, as a friend. And I've always found you to be uh, very skilled in what you do. I would always have described you as someone who's very genuine. What I also think about is it just the idea that you exude winning in your life. You exude winning personally, professionally, in your Cutco business, and now in, in what you're doing. I'm sure you're going to be a gigantic winner as a public speaker uh, and author in the, in the years ahead. And I, I very much appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to share with this audience here today. Thanks, John. Hey, thanks. And Dan, thanks for making the decision to start this podcast, because I think that many of, you know, a lot of people who are listening are, they're inside the Cutco business where they've been. And I think it's such a great thing that it's, it was like this hidden gem, right? Like Cutco is just this thing that it just created so many magical people in the world. And what a cool thing that you're doing here to really highlight some of that and let the world see it. Because man, it, it just does so much for the business and it does so much for the world to know that it's not just about selling knives, right? It's about the people that, that we become in the process. So thanks for doing what you're doing, man. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, John. Thanks. Take care. Cool. See ya. John Israel, everyone. I trust that you highly enjoyed this episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I love what John said is a lesson that came out of his early experiences, which he got from Jeffrey Gittimer, which is wherever you go, you'll create the exact same experience there. And it's so important to learn to succeed where you are. And particularly for those of you who are in Cutco, being able to learn to succeed in a place where you have an incredibly supportive environment and every reason to succeed is really critical for being able to build upon that to do great things down the road. John taught the concept of valuing people over profit and the idea of creating love at scale. Thought that was excellent. The power of daily habits, what that repetition creates in our lives and training ourselves to look for what's great. That was such a great and amazing insight. It's a paradigm shift for most people to go from looking for what's wrong and poking holes and stuff and being a complainer to looking for what's great, being an appreciator. It alters the way that you live your life. He wrapped it up by saying the best way to change our experience of life is to change the conversations that we have. John's book is called The Mr. Thank You Project. I would highly recommend it to anyone. And you can find him on social media. We'll put links in the show notes. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.